John Lim here. We're moving forward with episode 349. Last week's episode 348 on Real Genius is available now on the website. So as we're kicking off August and the last month of the summer movie series, I wanted to start off with a movie that I associate with summer. It is 2000's Boiler Room. Now, this is a movie that I had missed when it came out in theaters, and it's a movie that seems like it just came out yesterday, but it's over 20 years old, so it's it's a little bit of a mind trip. But uh, I didn't see it until summertime. After I had finished the bar exam, I, I went on a, a vacation, and I was on a flight, and it was the in-flight movie. And I had heard about the movie a little bit here and there, but I hadn't really heard any huge buzz about it. I don't think it did super well in the theaters. I don't think it was like a huge hit, but uh, I I know it got some critical buzz, and uh, I enjoyed it. I loved it on the uh, on the plane flight. It's hard usually for movies to keep my attention on the, on a plane, but that movie kept my attention from beginning to end. And I watched it several times subsequently after that and eventually bought it on physical media. I own it on DVD. So let me give you a rundown of the cast and the plot. You got Giovanni Ribisi. I think it's Ribisi uh, as Seth Davis. He plays the protagonist. Now he is a college dropout who is running a an illegal uh, casino out of his house catering to the college kids. And uh, he's he's kind of this... Uh, kid who's just trying to figure things out and he's trying to build a business and he's he's building this business. However, at the heart of the story is the tension between he and his father, uh, uh, Marty Davis, played by Ron Rifkin. And Marty is a judge. He's a federal judge and he obviously disapproves of Seth's uh, you know chosen vocation of dropping out of school and running a illegal casino because it endangers his reputation and his judgeship and they have this very very tense father-son relationship and that's one of the things that uh, is at the heart of this movie uh, on at one evening uh, late at night uh, one of his friends uh, comes along with a colleague of his and that colleague is uh, Nikki Cat who plays uh, Greg Weinstein and they come and they're dressed in very expensive suits. And Seth sees that they pull up in Greg's very expensive car. I think he drives a, uh, a Ferrari. And he's just kind of impressed, you know, because he thought he was doing well with the casino. But he sees these two guys coming in and th- they seem to be doing really well. And he finds out that they're stockbrokers. So after playing uh, some poker, Greg uh, talks to Seth about maybe coming to join the firm and to work under him. So Seth decides to to check it out. He goes there, and it's not a typical Wall Street brokerage. In fact, uh, the movie makes it a point uh, through Seth's monologue to, to showcase that this is a small firm that's actually out, uh, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere in New Jersey. And um, he shows up and... He uh, ends up in a group interview. They they get all of these recruits who are these kind of like college age kids or twenty something year olds, and um, uh, the uh, one of the uh, superstars of the firm, Jim Young, played by Ben Affleck, uh, comes in and he gives them this speech about how they're all millionaires, and if you come to work for this firm, you're going to become a millionaire too. So obviously, Seth is really um, enticed by this, so he goes to work for for Greg. 
And as the plot unfolds, he discovers that uh, you know they're selling some very dubious securities. They're selling a lot of penny stocks. And uh, while it looks good on the surface and Seth kind of gets wrapped up in the whole world of selling and, uh, you know, the, the rule is he has to close or help close 40 accounts for Greg and then he can start working on his own and uh, making commissions from uh, sales from different clients. But he sees this world where all these traders are just working day in and day out. Uh, making hundreds of cold calls a day. So basically, that's where the name boiler room comes from. It's a it's a uh, a slang term to indicate someone who sells stocks at a very dubious kind of location in a boiler room in a back room. Uh, so the rest of the cast, we have Vin Diesel, kind of in his pre-Fast and Furious franchise days. He plays Chris Varick. He's also a senior trader. Now, unlike Greg, who develops this kind of this... Um, uh, antagonistic relationship with Seth. Greg is very insecure because Seth uh, becomes a natural at this. And Seth also, uh, you know, develops a relationship with uh, Greg's ex-girlfriend, who I'll mention in just a minute. Vin Diesel plays another senior broker named Chris Varick, who's much more of a mentor type to Seth. So they develop a friendship. You've got Scott Kahn. He plays Richie O'Flaherty. He's another uh, senior broker. He's more of a hothead. He's got this hot temper. And then you've got, obviously, I mentioned before, Ben Affleck as Jim Young. Nia Long plays um, Abby Halpert. He, she, is, uh, she works at the firm as a secretary. It, it's established that she had some sort of prior relationship with Greg, but they're no longer develop, uh, together. And she develops a, a friendship and a relationship with Seth, which causes tension between Seth and Greg. Uh, you've got Tom Everett Scott. He's He plays Michael Brantley. He is the owner of this brokerage firm. Uh, as I mentioned before, you also have Ron Rifkin as Marty Davis. And then Taylor Nichols, he plays Harry Renard. He is one of the many clients that Seth uh, enrolls and seduces into buying these stocks. Now, Harry is... Um, uh, kind of a middle manager, and he's established that he has a family and he's saving up money to buy a home. And Seth basically seduces him into investing the money that uh, he's been saving uh, for this home into the securities that end up crashing. And, you know, it pretty much ruins his life and, and his marriage. So that's the cast of characters. The movie's directed by Ben Younger. Uh, this is, is a, really a story that is a product of its time. It is Really interesting, though, because a lot of the themes that were covered in this movie are still prevalent today, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. So one of the things I liked about this movie is the story structure. It actually uses a, a narrative device that you sometimes see in films where it actually starts in the middle of the film and then backtracks the story through flashbacks and then leads up back up to where they are. So it starts off with Seth. He's on this bus. Uh, and then there, the firm is on this kind of like retreat, this kind of uh, the celebration. And Seth is just backtracking the story of how he got caught up in all of this. So I like that it uses that device. It doesn't always work well. There's certain movies that uh, do this very well. Obviously, I think of one, The Godfather Part Two, is probably one of the best. But other movies like Forget Paris, which I actually may cover that one on the Suburb Movie Series, I think also uses this device well of kind of starting at a midpoint and then flashing back and then building up the story. So I think the story structure works really well. 
the plot is really interesting. So this is, uh, you know, you, you've probably heard a lot of, uh, you know, stories in the news, or if you had seen the more famous movie, Wolf of Wall Street, you know something about this world, this world of kind of these shady stockbrokers selling these securities, which are pretty much junk, and what they call these pump and dump schemes, where the idea is that they are pushing these penny stocks to, onto the market and then basically creating the market. And then when the stock goes up, the uh, brokers or the owner of the firm who owns a lot of shares, will, who basically sells that stock. So it's a, a pump and dump scheme. It's, a, it's against the law. It's a violation of SEC rules. But uh, you know, it, it happens a lot uh, with, with uh, especially with some of these kind of uh, uh, smaller brokerages that are not maybe on the up and up. Uh, what I like about this film is it makes interesting use of colors. That's one of the things that I picked up on subsequent viewings. So in the beginning, you see these kind of brighter colors. Seth is kind of this loud personality. But as he gets into the firm, what's interesting to see is that his the the clothes that he wears becomes darker and darker and darker. Also, the environment highlights a lot of things with color. So when Seth is in the brokerage room making those cold calls, you see all of these brokers on their phones. There's a blue hue over it, almost uh, just establishing a very cold, dis disheartening, uh, or uh, you know, just this unsympathetic environment where it's just, uh, you know, these cold callers, these brokers are just like sharks seeing their uh, clients as prey. And then in the beginning, you see uh, kind of the, 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 uh, the brighter colors, the, the summer, fall. But then as the movie progresses into winter, and then especially as uh, tensions uh, flare up between Seth and, and his father over his involvement in the firm, you see a lot of clouds. You see a lot of uh, darker tones. So this movie does something very interesting with colors. Another thing I liked is it has a really strong cast. I mentioned a lot of these names, you know, Ben Affleck, uh, you know, you have um, uh, Vin Diesel, a lot of people who... Right before they became huge stars. This was like a 2000s movie. All right. Uh, and there are some really fun references to other movies like Wall Street and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. One of the standout scenes is when Seth goes over to um, Jim Young's house. He's living in this huge house, which is practically empty. And they're all sitting around this large screen TV, uh, watch eating pizza and watching Wall Street and quoting back lines from the movie. So it's kind of a running joke that a lot of Wall Street uh, brokers came up in the uh, grew up in the 80s and 90s idolizing this movie, and uh, that's showcased here. And then there's also a reference to Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross, when uh, Greg is teaching Seth the ropes on how to sell, and then he gives him the whole ABC speech, always be closing. All right, let me wrap up the good, solid performances, I think, by the cast. Uh, you've got a lot of uh, talented actors here, especially some who, before, right before they became super famous. I think the pacing is excellent. This movie doesn't have any slow moments. As I mentioned, makes interesting use of colors. And I think it really captures, the, uh, the, realistically, that high-pressure sales environment. The negatives, it is technically incorrect in certain places, in terms of what happens, uh, especially in the second half as the movie mo moves towards its climax. I think the soundtrack is is a little uneven in places. There are times where 
I think they could have gone a little more subtle, uh, but there's music uh, constantly throughout this film, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, in my opinion. And I think Giovanni Ribisi is mostly a solid actor. I've enjoyed his performances and other things, but in this movie, I think he's he's pretty good, but there are times where his dialogue, uh, his dialogue can get a bit much and a little bit over the top. Uh, otherwise, I think this is a solid film and worth worth checking out. Now, instead of trivia, I'm going to give you a wish list. Now, Boiler Room is a product of the 2000s and cold calling and things like that. That was more prevalent then. We're now in a much different era in 2021, especially with social media, with um, you know the nature of retail investing, with mobile apps. I think this movie could do with a sequel it would be so interesting to see the the plot points and the the you know what a boiler room looks like today especially now it's 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 a very different environment and i would love to see a sequel and maybe have one or two or a couple of legacy characters from the first one so i would i would love to see a sequel whether or not that'll happen i'm not sure this was not a huge box office success so uh, I'm not sure, but uh, I would I would love to see a movie that would uh, kind of pick up from where this one left off. All right, I'm going to give this one a solid four out of five stars. Where can you find it? I believe right now, if you have Showtime, it is streaming on Showtime or Hoopla with a Showtime add-on. I think I saw it there. Check Hoopla if you want to check your local library. I'll also have affiliate links. Uh, if you want to rent or buy it from uh, Amazon in the write-up. The write-up will be available soon. Hope you're all having a great week, and have a great weekend.